Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege of this day, uh, for the gift that you've given to each of us. And we do thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word, Lord, that it stabilizes us, encourages us, challenges us. And Father, we thank you for the amazing story of Joseph as we begin it in chapter 37. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this story uh, and I pray that you would apply it to each of our lives in just the right way. Uh, so thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the enlightener uh, and the one that breathes life into us this morning. So we just give you this time, Lord. We come expecting to meet you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Let's read Genesis 37. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. And these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. While he was still a youth, along with his sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, uh, that would be Jacob loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and they could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to the dream which I had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep rose up, and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bound down to my sheep. Then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream and related to his brothers and said, Lo, I've had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he related to his father, to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What's this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers passed in the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said to him, I'll go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock. Bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, What are you looking for? 
And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they're pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have moved from there. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them at Dothan. When they saw him from a distance, that before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Now they come, let us kill him, throw him into one of the pits, and we'll say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that in the wilderness, uh, I'm sorry, throw him into the pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of the tunic, the very cold tunic that was on him. They took him, they threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites were coming from Gilad with their camels bearing aromic gum, balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is for us to kill our brother and cover his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. Free is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And some Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up, lifted Joseph out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it's your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph surely has been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his sons many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I'll go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. <clears throat> Long chapter. So let's jump in. Uh, this is one of my super duper all-time favorite stories. Absolutely love this story. Uh, it's found in Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. Uh, and it's one of my, my favorite stories because to me, it clearly shows that God is absolutely sovereign, meaning nothing can happen in your life, my life, or Joseph's life unless God either, A, causes it or permits it. So I love it. God is absolutely sovereign. Not only that, I believe the story drives home two other facts, and that is that God is absolutely loving and that he is good all the time. And let me repeat that. 
that God is good all the time. So my aim is to zero in on chapter 37 and then give a brief overview of the rest of the story and then to end with a punchline, which is found in Genesis 50. So let's roll. And as we read the story, I don't want you just to read it intellectually and mentally. I want you to literally get into the story and I want you to feel the dynamics and particularly to feel what's going on inside of Joseph in his mind, in his heart, as he goes through this journey, okay? So we start on 37.1. Now Jacob lived in the land with his father in the land of Canaan. And these are the records of the generations of Jacob. And it says here, very interesting, Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhad, sons of Zilpath, his father's wives. So number one, <clears throat> this, this, this guy is young. He is not an old man. He is only 17. I have a grandson, 16. I mean, this, he's a young whippersnapper. He's not a mature young adult. He is a literally, get it, a teenager, okay? Uh, he's a teenager. Uh, we also know uh, that he is uh, part of the shepherding population that was a major occupation in those taking care of sheep and also uh we get the point uh that he has brothers so he has 11 brothers uh israel jacob had 12 kids and joseph is one of those 12 now it says here joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father i scratched my head on that thinking you know is that, is that a legitimate thing to do? I don't know. Uh, maybe his brothers were acting in unbiblical ways. Um, we don't know what exactly it was. Uh, we don't know if he went to them directly and said, hey, guys, this is a bad deal you're doing. You shouldn't do it. I don't know whether he bypassed them, didn't even talk to them, and squealed and went to his father. Uh, I, we don't know those little pieces. But the bottom line is, one way or the other, he brings back a bad report to his father. So from the point of his brothers, that's strike one. Nobody wants somebody to squeal on them. So the brothers are beginning to get a little ticked off because this little guy is giving a bad report of them to death. Strike two is verse three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. That is a bad deal. It is never good ever <clears throat> for parents to show favoritism uh, to one of their children. Not good at all because what's gonna happen, that's just gonna cause jealousy. Uh, and in this case, um, the dad actually kind of rubbed it in the face of Joseph's brothers because he gave Joseph this special, special coat of many colors. So Joseph is standing out like he is the man in his dad's eyes. And that's strike two against him. Okay, <clears throat> four. 
And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him. They could not speak to him in friendly terms. So they're getting ticked off. First, he squeals. Number two, he's the favorite. Uh, but it gets a little bit worse. Five. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So this is strike three, okay? First, he squeals. Secondly, he's the favorite. And three, he has a dream that irritates the brothers to no end. And here's the dream. Verse six, he said to them, please listen to the dream which I've had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheep rose up, also stood erect. Behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheep. Now the brothers, I could think are getting fired up and saying, okay. Uh, as it says in eight, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? The implication of the dream is I'm number one <clears throat> and you're going to follow me. So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. So this, this hatred is beginning to build like a snowball gone down a hill. He gets another dream. And this dream is very similar to the first dream. But not only does the second dream imply that his brothers are going to bow down, now his mom and dad also are going to bow down. So this is really churning in the brothers. And if you look at 11, it says, and his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. <clears throat> you ever been there, ever been jealous of anybody? Now I can't imagine if we've been around any amount of time, somewhere in our journey of life, you've been jealous of somebody. I know I have. And jealousy is not, necessarily a sin as it knocks at the door as it's temptation but sometimes people allow jealousy to build and they feed on it uh and it bothers them and it can almost consume certain people and in this case i believe the brothers are actually being consumed by this jealousy like you know i want to be number one joseph thinks he's number one and uh this is building up to a not good climax so basically, uh, if you look at verses 12, all down a ways, dad says, okay, Joseph. And by the way, I don't think dad maybe is clued in to the dysfunction in his family. Uh, maybe dad misses the whole point that his brothers hate him. Because really, if his dad was really on the ball, he would never have sent Joseph to his brothers knowing that they hated his guts. So I'm not sure uh, Jacob really understands all the dynamics in the family. So he says basically to his son, Joseph, go check out on the flock. And he wanders around and somebody helps him find out where his brothers are, verse 16. And he basically arrives, finds the brothers. And 18, it says, when they saw him from a distance, before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. So as I said, Strike one, strike two, strike three, they're jealous. They are so possessed by jealousy and anger that they actually want to plan to kill him. Now you know that's pretty, pretty heavy duty, pretty out there when you want to actually kill somebody. So they're boiling, I believe, in rage inside. 19, and they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. 
Now then come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we'll say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. So their aim is let's kill him and we'll lie and cover it up and say some animal killed him. But one of the brothers, here's what's going on. Uh, 21, Reuben heard this and wanted to rescue him out of their hands. So Reuben basically says, um, you know, don't shed his blood. 22, uh, and eventually Reuben's hoping somewhere down the road when the brothers are somewhere else that he's going to come pull Joseph out of the pit and rescue him. So they throw him into the pit, 23, 24. And then 25, they get a plan. Okay, we're not going to kill him, but we want to get him out of our sight because he's driving us nuts. Um, so basically, uh, 25, they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites were coming. And their plan is, okay, um, you know, let's just get them out of sight. So if you read on, the story goes on. And they basically sell him. And he gets deported from the pit. And he's headed toward Egypt. 29, Reuben comes. And he's blown away. Like, oh, my word. I'm going to rescue my brother. There's no brother in the pit. And he says, uh, where am I to go? In other words, oh my, I can't go back to dad because my brother's gone. So now that they are, are trying to find, okay, how are we going to cover this story up? You know, we're good at that. When we get in a mess, sometimes let's, let's cover the story up so we don't get, quote, in trouble. So 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, they slaughtered a male goat, dipped the tunic in the blood. Um, they go 32, they found this, please and examine it, dad. Dad looks at it and says, yeah, 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 yeah. That's Joseph's tunic. Dad comes to the conclusion, 33, a wild beast has devoured him. Jacob is just beyond himself. He this is the favorite son. His favorite son in his mind is dead. He is, he is done. He mourns, but he can't even get over his mourning. He is just absolutely beyond, just beside himself in this. Uh, and then we kind of end the story, 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Okay, so let's look at this a little bit. <laughs> so here's the big deal to me. Get in Joseph's head. I might, you know, get out of this nice, comfortable chair you're sitting in. And I want you to feel what Joseph felt in this crazy journey. Joseph gets two dreams. He's convinced they come from God. He's convinced they're supernatural. He's convinced, if he understands the dreams correctly, that he is going to be very important. And the people are going to bow down to him. Okay, I mean, uh, that's the way I read the dreams. They're pretty straightforward. So he has the dreams, but, but now all of a sudden he's thrown into a pit. Now, this would kind of, this is like putting your foot on the gas and then putting your foot on a brake simultaneously. Like, what is the deal? I can't help but believe Joseph says, this makes no sense to me. 
this is not what I expected. I expected my brothers to bow down to me. I expected life to go well. And exactly the opposite has happened of what I look for. The exact opposite. Now, you might say, Joseph was a very holy man. And in the pit, Joseph is saying, well, God, you know, oh, that's no big deal. You know, you know what you're doing. Uh, I don't have to get all wound up about this. You're going to take care of it. Well, I think if Joseph had blood in his veins, and if he was human, and I surely know if I was in the pit, what I would be thinking, and I would be thinking to myself, like, this makes no sense to me at all. I get a dream. I'm going to be really important. And now I'm in a pit. And like, like, God, what the heck is going on? I, you talked about, <clears throat> we talked about Jacob wrestling with an angel. I think if I was Joseph, I sure would be wrestling with what is going, it doesn't make sense. You said this Lord, and now look at where I am. I'm stuck in a pit. So I think we've all been there. Times when you just don't understand what God's doing. Just, it makes no sense. Times when God presence seems to vanish uh, when God's given you a dream and it seems to be going up in smoke and like you're trying to make sense of the whole picture I think Joseph had to be wrestling he had to be wrestling <clears throat> if you go a little bit further <clears throat> excuse me I think it's important to see a little bit about the rest of the picture <clears throat> excuse me uh, and so he's now sold into Egypt He's at Potiphar's house. He serves this man faithfully. He's a good Jewish boy. He's moral. He does everything he's supposed to do. Potiphar's wife makes an advance on him. Joseph says, no way. I mean, it's so easy to say, man, oh, man, I'm in the pit. Everything's gone wrong. I might as well just have an affair. Let's just have some, some lust and have a good time. No, Joseph won't give in. Potiphar's wife makes an advance. He avoids it. She then lies and tells her husband that Joseph is coming on her. And now Joseph is thrown into prison. Now, again, if I'm Joseph, <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to think, okay, you know, I'm supposed to be somebody here. People are supposed to bow down to me. Now, not was, only was I thrown in a pit, now I'm in a prison. God, like, it does, this is the exact opposite. I thought I was a somebody, supposed to be anyway. Now I'm a nobody sitting in a prison cell. And I, again, I think he has to be saying like, God, I don't get it. What are you doing here in this situation? Ugh. Again. I can identify, I don't know if you can, I would think you can, I surely can identify with this situation. Like It's just not going the way I think it should go. Well, just one more thing that goes down the tubes. Uh, and uh, before I go into the tubes, you need a little bit of background on the story. While all this is going on with Joseph Pharaoh, the head of Egypt, basically uh, has some issues with a cupbearer and also with a baker and uh, they get thrown in the prison. They've messed up. And in prison, 
they get some dreams. They go to Joseph because they hear that, that this Joseph is a dreamer guy, right? Uh, and they pour out their guts and their dreams to Joseph. And Joseph basically says, um, the cupbearer, guess what? You're going to be restored. I can see the cupbearer with a big smile and say, wow, this is cool. I'm getting out of here. Uh, but Joseph says in chapter 40, 14, uh, only keep me in mind when all goes well with you. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of here. <laughs> so Joseph says to the cupbearer, guess what? You're going to get out. Guess what? The cupbearer gets out. The cupbearer is supposed to tell Pharaoh, hey, hey, there's a cool guy in prison who interpreted my dream. Uh, I think you need to get Joseph out. The cupbearer totally forgets. Again, if I'm Joseph said, oh, my God, what is it? The guy forgets, God, I don't understand. What are you doing here? Everything seems to be going the way it's supposed to. And now <clears throat> I'm back to nothing again. And we're told here, after the cupbearer forgets, it says in uh, 40, 23, two years pass. Okay, so Joseph sits two more years in prison. That's not a good picture. Two more years. But I want you to know, even though I'm sure Joseph has a lot of questions, as I'm, I believe he did, and as we do, I want you to see, even if he's wrestling, he never gives up his faith on God. He never gives up his faith on God. No, mm -mm. doesn't. Keeps the faith. And eventually, the cupbearer, the light goes on one day, and the cupbearer says, oh, man, I messed up. Uh, Pharaoh, I was supposed to tell you about this guy, Joseph. And Pharaoh has dreams. <clears throat> Pharaoh can't make sense of them. Cupbearer says, hey, you better get a hold of Joseph. <clears throat> Excuse me. You better get a hold of Joseph because Joseph can help you out and get an answer to your situation. So uh, guess what? Pharaoh calls Joseph. Now Joseph is number two man in Egypt. Wow. Wow. What a story. Uh, and what gets me is it's so encouraging to me that if I don't understand what God's doing, and if I don't feel God's presence, I can know that God's still working good in my life, and I need to trust him. There's a song we sing, uh, if you remember, Waymaker, if you remember that song way maker and i need to trust him even when i don't see what he's doing even when i don't feel his presence he's still working a good plan in my life and i want you to hear that this morning i don't know where you are on your journey you might be in the sunshine and everything's hunky-dory and you're on a mountaintop but folks i i can't help but believe some of us on the screen are not on a mountaintop we're in a valley and it's dark and things are not making sense to you and god seems far away and it's frustrating and it's oh i don't know what other words to say it's just plain downright tough and hard 
But here's the bottom line. The end of the story is so, so cool. Genesis 50, verse 12, 20. I'm sorry, Genesis 50, 20. Genesis speaks to his brothers. Fast forward through the whole story. And he says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Let me say it again. God meant it for good. I just, I could echo that for another minute or two, just to see it over and over. Sometimes we just got to hear it over and over. And at least I do. Maybe I'm thick. Maybe you get it quicker. But like, God meant it for good. If you see the whole panorama of the story, and you get the perspective of God, and you see the end, you can say, yes, 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 it's good, it's good. But in the middle of the story, man, the lights are out. In the middle of the story, for Joseph, it doesn't make sense. In the middle of the story, he's trying to find God, and he can't find him. It's like, it's tough. And it's tough. Not only for Joseph, I believe it's tough for us at times in the middle of the story when all the dots are not connected to make any sense of what is going on. But that's where faith has to kick in. So let me try to say this as plainly and clearly and forcefully as I possibly can. The God we serve is a good God. He's always for us. He's always, always, always for us. He's never against us. Never. Now, get this. Listen to the logic. If God is good, if we really believe that, and there, I got to ask the question, and I'm going to throw it out to you. Do, what do you believe about God in your guts? I'm not talking about in your brain theologically, what you intellectually believe. I'm talking about what do you feel deep down inside? Is God good or is God not good? And I think we need to, I need to wrestle with that. I would say you need to, uh, because that's, that is a foundation marker that we have to be clear on no matter what's going on in our lives. But get this, if you believe God is good, and God allows a bad thing, a hard thing, a disturbing thing, a painful thing in your life. If indeed God is good and he allows that in your life because he's good and he allows bad, he can only allow the bad or the hard because he wants to bring a greater good on the other end. And that's the beauty of the story of Joseph to me. Joseph goes through hell. Literally. How would you like to be thrown in a pit? How would you like to be rejected by your family? How would you like to feel like being thrown in a prison? How would you like to feel, or I like to feel when I'm forgotten? It's not a good feeling. But in it all, God said, I'm working it all in the big plan, and I'm going to bring good out of all this. You may not get it in the middle, but if you're trusting me and you hang in and you keep the faith, at the end, you're going to see, I know what I'm doing. So here's the challenge. I think there's times when God's kind of come off like the enemy. Let me say it again. 
there's times where God's going to come off the end. You read the book of Job. I don't know whenever we're going to get there, but we got to get there somewhere to get through the Bible. There's times Job's, I mean, uh, Job's viewpoint of God was he's the enemy. He's out to get me. He's out to make my life miserable. He's shooting arrows at me. And maybe that went through Joseph's mind at times. Like, you know, God, you seem like an enemy. You, you don't seem to be for me. You seem to be giving me a hard, hard time. So there's times that God is going to come up like the enemy. There's going to be times when God doesn't make any sense to you. There's going to be times when it seems like he hides his face and you are trying to pursue him and you can't find him no matter how hard you try. I believe it's those times we have to keep reminding ourselves. Those are the times I got to go back to the story of Joseph and re-anchor it in my head and my heart and say, God, it doesn't feel good. It makes no sense. I don't know why you're not talking to me. Maybe you've been there and you say, God, why are you let me go through hell? And you're waiting for an answer and you get no answer. And that gets you, at least it gets me at times, even more ticked when I'm saying, God, I really want to know what you're up to. And you're not saying anything to me. Like, what is the deal? As in times like that, I think we keep need to remind ourselves that God, you've said in your word, you're good. You've illustrated it in the life of Joseph. By the way, in the book of Job, it's a mess in the middle, but at the end, it all comes together. So I think God is saying, you need to trust me, even if you don't understand what I'm doing. You need to trust me if you can't feel me at times. You need to keep trusting me and know that at the right time and at the right way, I'm going to give you my perspective and I'll begin to connect the dots. Don't give up on the journey. Continue to trust me no matter what. I think that is the story of Joseph. And as I wrap up, there's a verse that just drives home the entire story. If you want a good verse to memorize and digest and meditate and practice, it's Romans 8.28. <clears throat> and we know that God causes all things. Get it. All things, not some things. God causes all things, the good things that happen in your life, the bad things that happen in your life, the big things that happen in your life, the little things that happen in your life. It says, and we know that God causes all these things to work together for good, for good. But there's a condition for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. This promise is not given to the world, to the non-believer. It's only given to those that are called according to his purpose. This promise is only given to Christians. And by the way, it's not given just to, to any Christian, okay? It says, for those who love God. So you can only take that promise and apply it if, A, you're a Christian, and number two, that you're going to love God and trust him in the middle of the hard times and the problems. But if we're going to whine and complain like the Israelites, it will short-circuit that promise, and all things will not work for good because they're going to overrun you like a bulldozer. So God causes all things to work together for good, and what's the ultimate good? What's his ultimate purpose? If you read on verse 29, Romans 8, 29, 
that we can be conformed to the image of his son. So there's the bottom line. Why does God allow a lot of pain? Why does God allow hardship? Why does God allow suffering and confusion and all the other stuff? From my perspective, ultimately, he's trying to make us look like Jesus. And I don't believe as I get older and older, I'm not going to get to be looking like Jesus if I just float in a pool, which I was doing the other day with my grandkids, and just floating, sitting on one of those little float things, and maybe somebody ought to give me a, a glass of iced tea, and I'm just sunning myself. Folks, that's not what I grow the most. I do not grow the most when everything's easy and everything's going my way. I grow the most in the hard times and the struggles and in the valleys. That's where I think growth happens. Is it fun? Absolutely not. Would I love to avoid the hard times? You better believe it. Do I enjoy pain? No way. Do you? No way. But I would just encourage you on your hard days, on your bad days, on your struggle days, when you're trying to make sense of your life, get back to the story of Joseph. It's so encouraging to me because it shows how a good God had a good plan. And ultimately, it makes sense to Joseph. The God was with him. God had not deserted him. But God was working a plan that was so good. And in the moment, it was beyond Joseph's understanding. But at the end, Joseph says, yep, God, they meant it for evil, but you knew what you were doing. And I pray that you and I, by the grace of God, can have the same faith that Joseph had in our hard times. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing story about a man a flesh and blood man, and I'm sure it could be a flesh and blood woman. We know other people like Esther, they went through ringers too, not just men and women as well. But Lord, we thank you that you have given us a story and a real life story about how you work good out of even the hard times of our lives. So Lord, you know what's going on in every life on this screen. There's nobody that is not on your GPS. Every single person, you're aware of what's going on in their lives. And Ali, are you aware that's going on? You're wanting very powerfully to work a good plan in each life here. And Lord, I can't imagine that there's some folks on this screen that are they're in a, in a Jobus, Joseph situation. They, they feel like they're in a pit. They feel maybe like they're in a prison. And they're scratching their heads saying, God, what the heck are you doing in this situation? Lord, I pray you would encourage them through the story of Joseph. I pray, Lord, for all of us, impart the faith to trust you even in the darkness, to trust you even in the confusion, to trust you, Lord, when nothing's making sense and we can't locate you no matter how hard we try. Lord, encourage us by this story. Lift our faith. Make us stronger. Uh, make us Joseph's, Lord, that never give up. We may wrestle. We may struggle. But we never throw the towel in. We continue to trust you. So give us the grace, Lord, to continue to do that as we walk into the future. So I thank you for being with each one of my brothers and sisters, Lord. Encourage them. Lift their spirits. Breathe life into them. Uh, give them hope where they may be in despair. 
uh, let them know, Lord, even though they may feel like they're in a tunnel of total darkness, Lord, encourage them if they walk forward in that tunnel, that there's light at the end, that they might have hope and not throw in the towel. So, Lord, we thank you, and we just pray these things in Jesus' strong and holy name. Amen.